It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Wednesday episode of Locked on Raptors, Pascal Siakam was pretty bloody awesome last year. He made the LNBA team, he became an offensive engine unto himself, but is there more there to tap into for Pascal Siakam? And what would that look like on today's show? We will dig into what a leap for Pascal Siakam could entail and what it would mean for the Raptors. And we'll do it all with Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com, who makes his triumphant return to the podcast. That's all coming up in just a second. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1235 of Locked on Raptors for Wednesday, August the 24th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors, and you can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on all your favorite podcast apps. You can also find the podcast free and available on all your uh, on YouTube, uh, that is. You can go subscribe there, hit the big red subscribe button, support the show that way. We've got lots of nice people on there leaving nice comments, some mean comments and all that. But hey, most people are very kind, which is fantastic. And uh, go and join the YouTube crew. And uh, it's much appreciated when you go ahead and do that as we continue on with your off-season coverage of your team every day, uh, mostly every day, three days a week for now. But either way, 
Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. And on today's show, we're talking about Pascal Siakam, baby, who we love to talk about in these parts. He is uh, my favorite player on the current edition of the Toronto Raptors. He's probably like my second favorite player in the history of the Toronto Raptors. And I've been watching the Raptors for a very long time. That's how much I dig what Pascal Siakam is serving up. And today we're going to dig into... A, how good he was last season, just to kind of hit a little reminder because he was bloody good last season, and also dig into the idea of another leap for Pascal because he's made many of those over the course of his career. He's had kind of a one-in-a-generation one type development arc, and so maybe there is another step up there for him to be had this coming season in 2022-23. We will examine what that could look like with our pal Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com, who is here, first time back on the pod in uh, quite a while, as of course I was on vacation. He's fresh off a weekend in Montreal, looking good. The Instagram was on point. Big V, how's it going, pal? Bonjour, comment ça va? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. My French teacher wife uh, is, uh, well, I just got to call her my wife on the podcast for the first time. That's fun. Uh, But she would be very offended uh, at uh, hearing that. I will (laughs) shield her ears from that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, man, it's good to be back chatting with you and looking forward to uh, one of our favorite players, uh, Pascal Siakam, and discussing what was last season, what's to come this season. Feeling very fresh uh, off the break. That was much needed. My first <laughs> little vacation since September 2019. So Holy. Yeah, that's a lot of sitting inside, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But hey, that's what it's been for a lot of people the last couple of years. Oh, so. <laughs> surely. I, hey, look, I'll still be sitting inside a whole bunch even after this pandemic nonsense clears us because I am lazy. Uh, all right, let's talk about... A man who is not lazy, a man who is notable for the amount of work he puts in. It is Pascal Siakam. Uh, Last year, really, really good. 23-ish points a game, 9-ish boards a game, 5-ish assists. He became sort of an offensive hub for the Raptors, uh, especially the back part of the season. After Fred Van Vliet started to break down, you know, he was kind of the bellwether for the team in the early going. Pascal gets into gear kind of late December, early January, and then from then on out plays just like ridiculously consistent excellent basketball with an incredible burden on him isolating a ton i think he isolated the fourth most of any player in the nba by frequency last year uh so there was a lot of just sort of pressure and burden on his shoulders and he powered through it quite wonderfully especially when you consider that there were guys hurt there was not a lot of shooting around him once again for the second straight season albeit more shooting than there was during the tampa season when he was passing to stanley johnson in the corner a whole bunch um but i guess to sort of start off what was the biggest leap to you that pascal made last season what was the most impressive of all the different things he added to his repertoire what do you think kind of stuck with you as like oh this is the biggest reason why pascal has become the best version of himself so I think the easy answer here might be that he took his playmaking to another level, Mm -hmm. but I felt like we saw glimpses of that coming along towards the end uh, of last season or before he got injured. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought those strides were there. It was just that uh, number one, the spacing was so awful in Tampa uh, that you couldn't really appreciate it. And then he, didn't necessarily get the assist numbers to reflect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and, and then times where he did make those passes in the interior, whatever it may be, they weren't being finished. And so I think 
those things contributed to his playmaking development not being appreciated in Tampa. And so when you saw it this season, it was it was almost like you felt like you're comparing what he was in maybe 2018, 19, and 19, 20 to what he mm-hmm. became now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that leap was very important. But I think the biggest thing for me was the improvement in the mid-range. And yeah. uh, for example, his shooting from 3 to 10 feet in the 2019-20 season was at 38%. Yeah. In 2020-21, it was at 42%. Mm-hmm. This season, it was at 50%. Woo! And that pretty much held up in the postseason as well. Uh, yeah. And so... Uh, I mean, obviously, it was only six games, but it was encouraging to see that it didn't dip down. Um, And so I think that for me was a crucial development in terms of, hey, you're going to have the ball a ton, as you mentioned, in isolation, isolation situations. Uh, You're just going to have to create on your own. The three point shooting isn't necessarily where this team needs it to be. So teams are going to give you that shot. How are you going to take advantage of it? Because especially the really good defenses, they're going to try and wall off the paint where he's just excellent at finishing around the basket, right? Over 70%. So to be able to convert with such success in that three to 10 foot range, I thought for me was huge. Yeah, I think the really impressive thing for me was what you kind of hit on there is that it all translated to the playoffs. And that to me is sort of the biggest signal like, oh, this is real. Yeah, it was one series. Yeah, it was just a sort of very flawed Sixers team that didn't really have a lot in the way of guys to throw at Pascal. But he was every bit the sort of offensive hub that he was in the regular season in the postseason and he had a couple of bangers in that series you know as the Raptors were trying to put make that little comeback there uh, from down 3-0 and I think the reason it kind of you know there's a couple reasons right like I, I think the sort of the plan the Raptors sort of openly said was hey we're gonna kind of treat the regular season like it's the playoffs because it might be our best chance to get some reps here and I think just like the insane burden that was placed on Pascal in the regular season kind of sort of weathered him almost for the playoffs and I don't know if I want to see the Raptors go ahead and put all that stress on him again like I think we've proven okay he can do this like he can handle a very high burden here he was you know 92nd percentile in usage in the NBA last season it worked just fine and you know, I don't know if you have to sort of go and throw him to the wolves again, but the fact that he did sort of weather the very intense defense he was seeing, the extra bodies, the, um, you know, the sort of different coverage he, coverages he was going to see, that all sort of informed the sort of complete player that he showed himself to be in the playoffs. And really the only thing that wasn't there was the three-point shot, and it even came back a little bit from the sort of depths it hit during the Tampa season. And you kind of saw a bit of like an amalgamation of all the little elements that make Pascal really good. You know, I think last year was probably his best defensive season, maybe the best we've seen from him since like 2017-18 when he was on the bench mob and he was just like this defensive ace they could bring in. He was, you know, crushing into the playoffs, guarding Bradley Beal, John Wall, etc., 
I think last year he was just like very clearly the anchor of what the Raptors are doing defensively, a very difficult scheme. He's the kind of guy who knows everything that's going on. He's directing traffic. He's the last line of defense a lot of times. That was really impressive. We saw the return of that sort of push shot game, which was kind of missing uh, in 2021-22, even sort of in the 2019-20 season a little bit as he kind of became this very, um, you know, three-point trigger happy above the break type guy. You know, he kind of found that touch once again, which was very much not there during the Tampa year and the, and the bubble and all of that. Um, and, you know, you add in the mid-range game, like it just was all these different things that he's done well in the past coming together into one really complete package. And it was super fun to watch and very satisfying to watch it all come together. And for those who were like the dyed-in-the-wool Pascal believers, I think last year has to be one of the more satisfying seasons you've ever seen from a single player. Like it, it was just really cool to see him go from the nadir that was the bubble at the Tampa season start where he was missing all those game winners etc and kind of becoming the player he was by the end of last year where he was kind of a no-brainer all-nba guy and you know better than he was when he made second team all-nba back in 2019 20 um any we'll continue on here vivek and get into some things that maybe need to happen for him to kind of get into another sphere right that's like the most difficult leap to make is being you know one of the 15 best players in the league and trying to jump into the top 10 it's very hard to do it probably won't happen because that's just the odds of nba history suggest that not many guys make that leap but Pascal has had a pretty awesome arc to this point in his career, and there's a lot going for him. We'll dig into what needs to happen for him to kind of take another leap and become an even better player for the Raptors going into next season. We'll get to that in one second. But first, I want to tell you about uh, the need to not drunk drive. So think of this. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride. No, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. That is wrong. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? Even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you lose your car, uh, you total your car, you kill someone. Yeah, all, all that stuff can happen. Everyone knows the risks of drunk driving and results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on the roads to save lives. So if you think that you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe, plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever drive sober drive sober or get pulled over Wilson you sent the game winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar how did you do it i got a huge assist from grammarly an ai writing partner that helped me make my point and it works everywhere i write summarizing a doc only took one click when everyone uses grammarly everything just makes sense Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, talking Pascal Siakam and all of the good things that make him him and some things that can maybe make him a better version of himself going into next season. So, Big V, let's kind of parse it out like kind of skill-wise. Are there one or two skills, different areas of the game, sort of improvement areas for Siakam that you think are kind of key to taking him from the place he is now, which is, you know, anywhere between the 14th and 19th best player in the NBA. However, we can get Bill Simmons with it and have arbitrary weird numbers if you'd like. He's like the 17th best guy in the league, man. Uh, (laughs) 
somewhere in that range what does he need to jump into like sort of the next sphere sort of no doubt all nba guy guy who you look at as someone who can potentially lead a team to a third round a finals kind of as the best player on the team i think it's continuing to extend the shooting range right and so I mentioned those three to 10 foot numbers, the 10 to 16 feet numbers were pretty solid at 45%. Uh, 16 feet to three uh, to the three point line was about 37%. And then the three point shooting uh, was 34% last season. And Mm -hmm. that was also propped up by some very good corner shooting numbers. Right. And Mm -hmm. we know because of the way this team is constructed, Pascal isn't going to be in the corner a lot. Yeah. He's going to be at the top of the arc with the ball in his hands. Uh, and so what does that lend to? It lends to uh, continuing to develop the handle uh, so that he can be more comfortable with his pull-up shooting. Mm-hmm. I think his pull-up shooting in general was a weakness uh, off the dribble. And so if he can work on tighten the handle, one, uh, and then get that comfort in just rising up and knocking down shots uh, from an extended range, I think that would be big. Because you look at the the really top of the top tier, uh, they're all able to knock down that pull-up three off the dribble. Um, if, you know, if someone's going under a screen, whatever it may be, it's like, boom, you made a mistake, right? And so Pascal's got to be able to tell them, hey, you're making a mistake when you do this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the shooting is kind of the easy one, right? Like, it's it's such an obvious thing that he can kind of tick up a little bit. And I think the tick up that we saw last year, which was, you know, what, 5% better than he was in Tampa, like, that was responsible for a slight increase in his scoring output. And, and I think that's probably, you know, something you're hoping for. if Because he, if he's going to get into, like, the 25-a-game range, like, the couple extra threes you can hit if you are – you know, rising and firing on pull-ups and, you know, hopefully getting a little bit more in terms of catch and shoot just because of the responsibility you would assume a guy like Scotty Barnes is going to take on, a healthy Fred Van Vliet. Like, this is the interesting thing is I don't even know if there's that much Pascal needs to do to kind of put himself in the position to be a sort of more all-encompassing excellent player. I kind of think if the team just kind of assumes the form that they never really got to assume in the back part of last season because of the injuries... Like, there's a pathway there for just, like, the sort of reorientation of the hierarchy to get him there, right? Because he won't be so overtaxed with the ball in his hands every single time down the floor. He'll be able to take some corner threes where he is very good and has had some success, you know, kind of over the course of the last many years. And, uh, you know, I just think, like, let me ask you, like, how do you think Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet in particular tie into this conversation about a Pascal leap like do you think they are tied together do you think it's independent of one another like how do you sort of view that relationship I I think the main way it's tied together is maybe when you look at Pascal's corner three-point shooting it's identifying that hey when you get those opportunities where Fred and Scotty uh, are up top let's make sure we have Pascal in the corner to maximize sort of the spacing of the offense uh, and now you have a guy like Otto Porter who you can have above the break. Uh, obviously, OG Ananobi can be above the break. So it's easy to I forget think... Otto Porter's on the team now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that you have these above-the-break options, um, because OG was dealing with health issues last year, hopefully that's not the case this season, um, 
you know, maybe you have more opportunities to put Pascal in that corner. Uh, and then, you know, if people have a poor closeout, obviously he's going to know what to do with it. Uh, and and then, you know, you can take advantage of those opportunities as well. So I think that's how Fred and Scotty will tie into that. Obviously, Scotty and Pascal have really great chemistry where, you know, they can probably screen for each other. Um, and that's maybe an interesting point where, hey, is Pascal, has Pascal worked on his game enough where he's even confident to, uh, you know, be a pick and pop guy mm-hmm. uh, and you know, can Scotty do that a little bit for Pascal too? And so I think that could be an interesting wrinkle that I look out for. It's not something I'm expecting. Um, but again, you know, we talk about, or I'm talking about the three-point shooting a lot, but I do feel that that is sort of the biggest margin to gain for this team offensively. Sure. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I, you know, to kind of go into that too, to sort of expand upon that and sort of, we're talking about the same thing, just sort of in different ways. But I do think like amping up his three-point proficiency combined with, you know, the variation in like, ultimately it all leads to just like a a more diverse offense, right? Which the Raptors did not have last season. It was, all right, Pascal, please do something for us, please. Uh, And he usually did. It was very effective, but you know, uh, I think a little bit more diversity, a little bit more in terms of like not being able to predict how Pascal Siakam is going to attack you. Even if you can predict it, it's very hard to stop because he became in many ways unguardable because his playmaking was such a great counter to when he would see extra bodies and stuff like that. Um, and it was just kind of like hope he has an off night shooting. And sometimes he did. And that was sort of the way to beat him. But if you can you know, have him be a pick and pop guy, have him be a role man, which like we've seen before. I hearken back to the 2019-20 season all the time. The Lowry Siakam pick and roll, whichever way you wanted to run that was instant buckets and powered the second best crunch time offense in the NBA. They demolished teams with that look in particular. There's no reason that can't work in a similar fashion with Fred Van Vliet. Yes, Fred's not the same downhill threat Kyle was, but like he's probably a better pull-up shooter than Kyle ever was. So you get some trade-offs there. If you can work in some of that Scotty and Pascal two-man game as well, and again, just kind of make it so it doesn't have to be the same thing every time where Pascal's either taking a screen or not taking a screen at all, often not taking a screen, and just kind of charging headlong and hoping to make something happen. That, to me, feels like a way to kind of just boost the efficiency across the board, just because it's, like, not so predictable for the defense to kind of dig in on. And we should probably, like, address as well, Pascal is not a perfect offensive engine. The Raptors were not a great half-court offense last season. They got better as the season went along, but, of course, a lot of their success was driven by transition and all of that. Like... Do you see limitations to sort of what an offense centered around an engine of Pascal Siakam can be? Like, you know, I don't think he's Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic, where it's like, no matter what you do, this guy is like a top five offense unto himself. I don't think that's the case with Pascal, at least not right now. You know, do you view that there's like a cap cap on how good a team can be if Pascal Siakam is sort of the main orchestrator of the half-court offense? Or does it kind of not apply to what we've seen so far because the team has not really been complete or sort of totally figured out around him? And maybe this will be the best testing ground for that whole concept now that he maybe has a little bit more spacing, a little bit more help than he had the last couple seasons. Yeah, so... I think basically as you move down that A1 superstar tier, uh, 
how you surround that player becomes just more and more crucial, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think with Pascal Siakam, spacing is an absolute must. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you saw last season where they tried to make up for the lack of spacing by saying, hey, okay, Pascal, just go ahead and ISO and we'll make sure that we have guys just constantly attacking the glass and just getting the ball off the rim and it getting points back that way. And mm -hmm. it worked. They were the second best offensive rebounding team in the league. And so uh, that was a big part of their offense. Now, if you can have the appropriate spacing where Pascal is able to attack with maybe less bodies walling up in the paint, uh, that type of thing, I think it improves his individual game. Um, it creates the shots that guys like Otto Porter and OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet want. Uh, mm -hmm. and potentially Precious Achua. Uh, I think uh, that is a fun element that wasn't quite there last season. And mm -hmm. to your point, bottom line, run more pick and rolls. It was a lot of isolation. <laughs> Did Malachi and... Flynn pay to say that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a pretty basic part of NBA offense. It's probably on the whole the most frequently used part of nba offense and for the raptors that has not been the case and so i think you got to move away from some of this isolation stuff run more pick and rolls um you have the personnel uh to do it you, know, you can pick and roll you can pick and pop uh, more efficiently now i would like to think with the gains that should be made over the summer with players and uh again auto porter uh is a significant pickup in that aspect so uh yeah i i think with pascal it's just about it just becomes that much more predicated on how the team is constructed yeah for sure and i do think like the environment within which he's going to operate next season is probably going to help him just sort of uh you know tick up across the board in some certain areas i'm just trying to pull up now just to confirm exactly what the half court offense was last season. It was pretty ugly, if I recall. Uh, I yeah, last year, they were per cleaning the glass 26th in half court offense, 91.3 points per play. Uh, of course, number two in offensive rebounding percentage. So that kind of cut into that deficit a little bit. Uh, they were slightly better with Pascal. They were in the 38th percentile, like 93.5 points per play with Pascal on the floor in the half court. But again, that's not really what you want uh and so yeah i think the environment around him is gonna be really important and you know i, I like i said i don't think there necessarily has to be that much in terms of tick up in his various skills to see an improvement if the guys around him are more reliably healthy in the lineup and you know knocking down one of every you know three and a half or two and a half threes they take or whatever uh that is, i don't know what the math on that is but a little weird way to frame three-point shooting but <laughs> I guess that's forty percent. Maybe they shoot thirty-six percent around him, and you're you're laughing. You're you're in a really good spot. Um, we're gonna come back on the other side, dig into sort of what elite from Siakam could look like in terms of his sort of stature around the league, and where does he slot in? Who is gettable in terms of like who could he leapfrog in terms of hey, this guy is better than this guy, you know sports radio stuff we'll get to that in just one second here but first I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.net it's the fastest and easiest way to check it on all of your betting needs find your favorite sports and events 
at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball. Blue Jays are heating up, baby. Eight runs in the third last night against the stupid Red Sox. Go put some money on the Jays to go win the division. They're only eight and a half back. Why not? The odds are probably pretty good. You got the NFL season starting up, NBA, NHL, not far off, combat sports, esports, even golf. Bet online continues to be the top top online resource for all your sports wagering information. You can be the informed wagerer instead of me. Typically, when I go bet money on stuff, I just like indiscriminately click on stuff based on my gut, and my gut is wrong all the time. Bet online is not. Head to bet online today. Use your mobile device to learn more about trends and the action all that are happening today. Bet online is where the game starts. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, and we have reached the final segment of our chat about old Pascal Siakam, who I cannot wait to watch this season. It's going to be a ton of fun. Of course, he made All-NBA last year. He's now done that twice in his career. Uh, He missed out on the All-Star game last year just by, I think, time. Like, he missed the first 10 games of the season, and that, you know, all equated to him not making the All-Star team, even though he was every bit an All-Star last year in terms of quality of play. Who cares about the All-Star game? But... If Pascal does make some sort of leap, whether it's because he advances as a three-point shooter, whether it's because the ecosystem around him is more tailored to him just being a more efficient and prolific player, uh, you know, where do you think the sort of peak is for where Pascal can kind of rise within the Eastern Conference and the, I guess, the league hierarchy of guys? And do you envision a world? I, I think right now you look at the Eastern Conference, you say like Giannis, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, and then I guess like if James Harden stops being fat, uh, <laughs> like that, those are probably like the guys who you would say like, okay, they can lead a team and be like the best player on a contending team. Maybe you want to throw Trey Young in there because of the prolific numbers. He's also horrific at defense, and I'll believe it when I see it with Trey Young. Um, but like, is there like is Pascal the fifth best player in the East right now as it stands, Vivek? And like, is there a way in which he kind of climbs into that tier of oh yeah, Pascal can be the best player in a contender, no problem. I think we saw close to the ceiling uh, at the end of last season. Um, sure. In terms of where he fit in, right? Like he was clearly one of the best players in the East. He, mm-hmm. if if you had to have. Uh, an MVP conversation based solely on the final two months or just post all-star break, uh, you would probably put him in it uh, or at least on the outside looking in. In the conversation, baby, the place you want to be in NBA MVP conversations in the conversation, (laughs) the the fifth place vote, baby. (laughs) So (laughs) I forgot Kevin Durant, by the way, he's better than Pascal Siakam. Uh, He's apparently in the Eastern conference still. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, I think over the course of 82 games, obviously players are going to have those stretches where they're just brilliant. They're just incredible for a month or two. Um, over the course of the season, if he can be uh, on the outside looking in on, of that MVP conversation, I think that's a huge accomplishment. I, mm-hmm. I think um, I wouldn't 
expect him to be like a top five MVP candidate, but I think he's definitely capable of being in that. Uh, if, if you look at that, you know, ba- basketball reference MVP tracker, uh, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if last if next season he's in that six to 10 range. Um, and, you know, maybe for stretches, they're talking about him the way they did about DeMar DeRozan for, for those mm-hmm. couple months. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think something like that, is probably what you could look for from Pascal this season. Obviously, I think Pascal is a better player than DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, he, he is. There's no, like defense is a big part of the game, as it turns out. Uh, <laughs> but we love DeMar here. No, no uh, slagging DeMar on this here pod. Um, I, I guess the guy who's interesting to me is like Jimmy Butler. Because um, like I don't think Pascal is better than Tate. I don't think he's better than Giannis. I don't think he's better than Embiid. Don't think he's better than Durant. Like those are the guys of the class of the East. But, like, he beat out Jimmy Butler for All-NBA last season. Obviously, Jimmy was a monster in the playoffs and, you know, put the broken-ass heat on his back for long stretches in, the, in that postseason series, even when he himself was broken. Um, but, like, he's 32, 33. Like, he's not getting any younger. Pascal is kind of continually ascendant is kind of how it feels whenever you watch him. Like, he just kind of adds stuff each and every year. This is also the first summer he's gotten to work out since 2019 which seems like it matters for a guy whose whole thing was that he works out a lot in the summer um and so like i could see a world in which pascal is kind of like the no-brainer fifth best player in the eastern conference like that is on the table i think yeah there's trey young and some other guys who might pop off i guess kyrie irving is in the end the net like can we just like get rid of the nets they feel like it's like put them elsewhere they're stupid um (laughs) i don't know what the hell to expect from that stupid team um but yeah it it does feel like pascal is like in that more sort of elite sort of no-brainer he's probably going to be an all-star type of situation going into this season like i would bet on that being the case it's exciting stuff, man. I, I guess the other question is like the Scotty Barnes of it all here, because at some point you would assume Scotty Barnes is going to kind of take over and sort of say, hey, this is my basketball team now. Deal with it because uh, he's that good. And he's you know <laughs> ruining James Harden's life in pickup and all that stuff. It's great to see. Not that we care about what happens in pickup games on this here podcast, but like do you see a way in which like the arrival of Scotty Barnes could be so early that maybe it sort of like mutes the importance of Pascal Siakam lowers his, his sort of like overall reach within the team because Pascal or because Scotty just kind of grabs the reins. You know, I've talked about sort of my dream vision for this team being like a dueling head of the snake with Barnes and Siakam being the two guys who kind of make things happen and everything else happens in their orbit with all of the very good shooters they have kind of playing off of them. Um, you know, is there a world in which Scotty Barnes is so good that it kind of takes away some of Pascal's stature within the Eastern Conference as early as this year? I don't think so, because mm-hmm. I think they complement each other really well. And It's such I, a good fit. Remember people were like, they get these, you can't have two power forwards. What are you doing? <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you look at, you know, the, the best combos in the league, dynamic duos, big threes, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever you want to look at, the ones that usually get left out are the third guy, right? And mm-hmm. uh, on this team, it'll be, you know, Pascal one and Scotty two soon. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the future that you're referring to, Scotty one, Pascal two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see Pascal ever, <laughs> you know, on 
this iteration of the team dropping down to three. No. And so uh, that's the only scenario in which he would be, maybe be a bit muted or diminished in any way. I think mm-hmm. those two guys uh, are going to put up big numbers as long as they're together. And, uh, you know, whether you, you look at potentially, you know, the numbers, some people might have thought, oh, okay, Kawhi and PG, how's that going to work? What are their numbers going to look like? Both look fantastic when they're Pretty on the good. <laughs> right? Uh, so, obviously, I'm not going to put Pascal and Scotty in that category uh, because of what Kawhi and PG have accomplished in their individual careers. Pascal is probably uh, right there uh, in terms of getting to that PG conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Scotty... We'll see where he gets to this season. But uh, in terms of fit, I think it's really good. So I wouldn't expect, you know, one to sort of uh, have to hold back to accommodate the other or Mm -hmm. get the best out of the other. Yeah, there's a lot of minutes in an NBA season. And I would like if Pascal could play fewer of those minutes next year, uh, perhaps, and maybe sort of spread the wealth a little bit in terms of the overall ask of him. Uh, And yeah, I mean, look, far more proven duos of course in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Giannis and Chris Middleton but like the whole hey we have two really good wings who are enormous and can play both ends of the floor and kind of run offense and also be the backstop of a defense that seems to be a pretty good strategy that the Raptors have gotten in early on and that should excite people like that's very clearly what's going on here is like they've looked around the league and said oh yeah the whole wing craze that we in part kind of helped start that is the thing now and that is the sort of model for very good teams or at least you know there's not one model for very good teams obviously but it's one of the most tried and true models it seems and one of the best ways to ensure that you have a capable defense in the playoffs yada 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 it's pretty exciting stuff man and like i think if you're just like a neutral NBA fan, the Siakam Barnes duo should be one of like the league pass darlings of this coming season. Like you should be wanting to watch those two weirdos play off of one another because it's going to be weird. It's going to be fun. It's going to be in a lot of ways, pretty dominant at times, I think too. So uh, pretty exciting stuff, man. I can't wait to see Pascal and sort of what happens this year with a bit of a different ecosystem around him and the proof of concept, all the sort of bad stuff is now in the rear view. And it's like, oh yeah, Pascal's awesome. We all agree on this again. It's not like, oh, trade Pascal because he had one bad game, blah, 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 blah. That stuff seems to be behind us, which thankfully, because it's a nightmare. Um, and we just got good, fun, green pastures ahead, it seems, with Siakam and Barnes knock on wood because nothing is guaranteed in this here NBA. Uh, we're going to wrap it there. Big V, thank you so much for popping on, man. It was lovely chatting with you once again. Where can people check out all of your good work? And if you have anything in particular to plug, now is the time, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. You can find my work on CBC Sports, Complex Canada, and, of course, Raptors.com, where I'll be ready to go into full bloom come September. Hell yeah. Uh, It's coming up soon, man. Media Day is like a month away, which is... uh... 
merciful for someone who's been doing the off-season content thing. Uh, looking forward to even preseason games, baby. Preseason games. The Jazz and Raptors in Edmonton. Let's go. It's I can't wait. Uh, we're gonna wrap it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again uh, either tomorrow or Friday. Not exactly sure of the shape of this week's schedule just yet. I'm still getting my bearings back from vacation and all that. But uh, either way, we'll have another episode for you this week, and we will continue forth with our off-season coverage here as we draw near. And I will be at some point very soon doing my ranking every Raptor series once again. My, I think it'll be the fifth annual version of it, which uh, is something I put far too much time and care into. But if you have not read it before, go find it. Raptors HQ, ranking every Raptor version 4.0 from last year. You can go and see how I ranked every single player in Toronto Raptors history. And I will do so again with the new information from this past season. Pascal versus Bosch is going to be a fun one. I'm excited for that. Anyway, We'll wrap it there. Thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you again with another episode later this week. In the meantime, go check out Locked on NBA. Make that your second listen every day as they are covering all the stuff going on around the league wonderfully. You can also check out Locked on Blue Jays to hear about your boys in blue who are beating the tits off of all of the various AL East garbage teams, except for the Orioles, apparently. But who cares about the Orioles? We'll wrap it there. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.